As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Interest rates are on the rise. The stock market has had its worst first six months in over half a century. Prices for everyday goods are remaining stubbornly high. And government support programs designed to help people through the pandemic are getting cancelled faster than sitcoms from the 1980s. A lot of people are in a more precarious financial situation now than they were at the supposed height of the pandemic. Just American spending on economic stimulus efforts adjusted for inflation is the same as America spent fighting World War II. Government budgets are very different from household budgets. So, while a lot of the typical sound bites about debt and fiscal responsibility might be a bit overblown, it's also important to remember that governments aren't magic. They can't just create value out of thin air to brush away any problems we face. If they could, we would live in a post-scarcity utopia, but obviously we don't. So, if governments don't manage their money like you or I, then how do they pay the bill for living above their means? The answer to this question can teach us a lot about what the next few months have in store for us. The standard thinking now is that we are stuck between unreasonably high inflation and a recession. Neither of these options are good, but they are bad in different ways and they are bad for different people. So, how long will it take our economies to go back to normal? Who is really going to end up paying for the record spending done over the past 28 months? And are we stuck choosing between inflation and a recession? Or is there another option? We have to choose between unreasonably high inflation and a recession. Well, no, but that's not the good news you might think it is. The US currently has an annualised inflation rate of 8.6%, which is three to four times the Fed's target rate and is very securely in what we would call unreasonable territory. Growth itself has also been very weak, with a negative first quarter and most predictions forecasting another slow quarter of growth having just passed. The technical definition of a recession is two quarters of negative real GDP growth, Now, most institutions these days no longer use that rigid framework for determining if we are or are not in a recession, but at least by the most solid definition that we have available, we are probably already there in most economies around the world. So yeah, there is another option besides picking high inflation or a recession, it's just not the option that you might have been hoping for, because it's C, all of the above. This is what economists call stagflation, and you'll probably start to hear this term thrown around more and more in the coming weeks and months. Stagflation was a term first used in the 70s to describe a period of low economic growth with high unemployment, which still manages to also have high inflation. Typically, low growth and high unemployment reduce inflation because if people don't have jobs and they are uncertain about the future, they won't spend as much money. If people don't spend as much money, there is less total demand in the economy, and if there is less demand, then prices fall. Lower prices are the exact opposite of inflation. We looked at this last month in our video on the recession that we need to have, so I don't want to repeat too much here, but stagflation is normally a sign that something has gone terribly wrong in the economy. It's like somehow dying of dehydration and drowning at the same time, and chances are it's something that we're going to have to deal with. 
The question is really becoming, how bad are both of these going to get? And to answer this question, let's start with inflation. Inflation is high right now for two reasons. There has been a lot of money injected into the economy in the past two years, and there have been severe product shortages caused by supply issues stemming from pandemic lockdowns, trade tensions, and now a war in Eastern Europe. Both of these will increase the prices of goods, but it's difficult to say which is having a bigger impact at any given time. Up until recently, the Federal Reserve Bank was primarily pointing the finger at supply chain issues for price spikes in certain areas. Conveniently, this would relieve them of responsibility for inflation because they only have direct control over cash flows in the economy. The Fed doesn't involve itself in trade negotiations or lockdown policies. This stance has been walked back by the Fed and their research now indicates that approximately 3% of the current inflation rate was caused by income transfers, which is just a technical way of saying all of the extra money that was pumped into the economy during the pandemic. Now, 3% is actually not that bad, And the Fed itself also quickly points out that had these measures not been taken, we would likely be experiencing deflation, which would have been worse for a variety of reasons. If the target rate of inflation is 2 to 3% and we are currently at 8.5%, then the 3% caused by stimulus efforts represents half of the problem. Of course, the actual calculations are far more complex than this, and the Fed themselves have admitted that this 3% figure is likely to be adjusted upwards, But for now, it gives us a pretty good benchmark to work with. So then, what is causing the other 3% of above average inflation that we are currently experiencing? Supply chain issues are certainly part of it. There is no getting around the fact that the way that we do business and add value in our economies has fundamentally changed in the past two and a half years. But why are we only really experiencing this now? Industrial output has actually recovered to all-time highs in the US and imports have spiked to make up for the supply shortages and then some. A few months ago, supply chains were a major part of the inflationary problem, but now there's a little bit more to it. Of course, there are still certain items like consumer electronics, foodstuffs and of course oil that remain problematic, and a lot of these have had knock-on effects. Almost everything that we consume these days is transported hundreds, if not thousands of kilometres around the world before it gets to us. If oil is expensive, then this transport costs more money, a cost which will sooner or later be passed along to us as consumers. If we follow this line of thinking, we can start to find the real source of this additional 3%. Paul Donovan, the chief economist at UBS Global Wealth Management, astutely pointed out in a recent interview that only about 15-20% to of what we spend on food is actually going to the food. The other 80% is being spent on the process of getting that food from the farm to our supermarkets. This is roughly made up of transport expenses, like the fuel that we were talking about earlier, and stuff like packaging and processing, which with COVID restrictions has become slightly less efficient. There is still two other big expenses that we need to account for when we buy our food though, and that is the profit margins of all of the companies involved in the supply chains and the salaries of all of the workers that made it possible. All of this talk of inflation has been a golden opportunity for companies to raise their prices under the guise of simply keeping up with inflation. In reality, most companies have raised their prices too far, either out of fear of inflation persisting or, more realistically, because they can. If people are expecting a rise in the price level of their goods and services, they are not going to be surprised when there is a rise in the price level of their goods and services. 
The last six months have seen record corporate profits, despite a lot of fiscal stimulus measures being slowly tapered off, because these companies can now get away with charging whatever they really want to. Now the biggest slice of this end good expense pie is almost always going to be labour costs, and those two are on the rise. Unemployment is very low at the moment, and less people are choosing to work at all. This means workers have more negotiating power to demand higher wages, and with all of the talk of inflation, the motivation to do it as well. Going into your boss's office and telling them that you want to raise because in this labour market you're going to be very hard to replace probably won't go over very well. Telling them that you want to raise to keep up with inflation is much more reasonable. If everyone does this, it's very easy to see how we end up with higher prices on the goods that we end up buying off the shelf. So can we fix this? Well, yes actually. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Higher interest rates will put a damper on business and consumer activity, which will make those businesses and workers less confident asking for record profits and salary increases. Actually, one of the most powerful tools the government has to fight this type of inflation is their rhetoric. By saying very loudly and very firmly that inflation has now become their number one priority, we will start to expect that this issue won't last long, and in doing so we will be less motivated to take actions that lead to inflation in the first place. Of course, they still need to be very careful about this because the Fed may very well still have to reverse course very quickly if the economy falls into a recession. Doing the opposite of what they promise will mean that people won't listen to them anymore, which could strip them of this very underappreciated tool. We are actually seeing this at the moment here in Australia. The chairman of our Reserve Bank at the height of the pandemic said that they would not raise interest rates until 2024. He said this to try and calm consumers during a time when a recession was the biggest fear on people's minds. But now, after three record rate increases, people aren't going to take what he says very seriously anymore. Alright then, what about the recession? Inflation may very well be like Tinkerbell in that it only exists if people really believe it exists, but that doesn't mean it's not a problem. Most of the things that the government and reserve banks around the world do to fix inflation is exactly the opposite of what they do to fix a recession. If an economy has inflation that is too high, the central bank raises interest rates and the government taxes more while spending less. If an economy is going into recession, the central bank lowers interest rates and the government taxes less while spending more. So what's the correct course of action when inflation is high and the economy is still headed towards a recession? The answer is really some kind of compromise. The Federal Reserve Bank's core mandate is price stability. And while they normally try to balance this with enabling economic growth, if they are backed into a corner, they will choose to maintain price levels 
even if it comes at the expense of pushing the economy into a recession. It sounds kind of heartless, especially when you remember that these actions will have real impacts on millions of regular people around the world, but that's just their role. It's possible to recover from even very severe recessions. It's much harder to recover from hyperinflation. We are already seeing this play out. At a time like this, with all of the problems in the world, the Fed would never consider raising interest rates, but because of inflation, they are doing it anyway. The response of the government is going to be a bit different though, because unlike the Fed, they don't have a narrow mandate, and instead they exist for the good of the people they represent. The White House has already announced that inflation has become its top economic priority and that it will not interfere with the Federal Reserve's efforts to cool inflation, even though it acknowledges that it could put a damper on the economy's recovery. Instead, the government is trying to roll out new stimulus measures to alleviate the effects of both inflation and the potential recession. But hang on, isn't huge government stimulus efforts half of the reason that we have the inflation problem to begin with? Well, yes, it is. But the difference with these new stimulus measures is that they are designed to increase the supply of goods and services in the economy rather than just the demand for goods and services. If you give a person a $1,400 cheque, that doesn't necessarily add value to the economy. Sure, they can go out and spend it to keep businesses going, but if you do this enough, you're just going to have an inflation problem. Instead, this new stimulus proposal is targeted at building out infrastructure, releasing oil reserves and building more housing, all of which will increase the supply of goods and services in the economy, which should hopefully both taper rising prices but also provide a certain level of economic stimulus at the same time. Unfortunately, we are stuck between a recession and inflation. The question is now, how bad is it going to be? I like to end things on a positive note, so the answer is that it might not actually be as bad as we have been led to believe. Doom and gloom articles get clicks, and as a person whose livelihood depends on how many people I can get to watch my videos, I know that bad news sells a lot better than good news, but I am personally not nearly as worried as I was six months ago. Reserve banks have acknowledged the inflation problem, and while they have waited a bit too long, they are now taking decisive steps to alleviate the issue. Employment is still strong, which means that at least people still have incomes. Yes, the stock market is having a very bad year, but that might be a blessing in disguise. Most of the value lost in the headline indexes has come from tech companies that were arguably wildly overvalued. A low interest rate environment meant that people could gamble on what companies would change the world in the decades to come, rather than investing in good old fashioned businesses that were producing value now. The fall in the value of these tech companies is most of what has pulled the value of the total stock market down. Many of the biggest, more traditional companies in the world are actually having a great year. The same decline is likely to be seen in house prices as well because these two asset classes are pretty strongly correlated. But again, that's not necessarily a bad thing for the broader economy. The biggest economic downturns in history more or less came as a complete shock. 1929, 1937, 2001 and of course 2008. This is not an excuse to get complacent, but the fact that we have been seeing this coming for years now means that we are less likely to be blindsided by the impacts of either inflation or a severe recession. The world is constantly changing and transforming. Cut through some of the noise with What's New with Wired, a podcast that goes in depth on the latest news and technology and culture. Their award-winning journalism will help you make sense of what's happening in the world. 
Listen to What's New with Wired wherever you get your podcasts. That's What's New with Wired wherever you get your podcasts.